0: you <laughs> to another BritFleets.com podcast five great british horror films series today's guest is sarah daly good afternoon
1: hello sir how are you
0: i'm very well thank you i'm very well now for those people that don't know who sarah daly is sarah do you want to give us a brief intro as to as to who you are what you do and who you might represent
1: yes yeah, sure thing Um, So I work with Hex Media, Hex Studios now, Mm -hmm. um, and we make horror films in the wilds of Scotland up in uh, Kirkcaldy, which is, you know, the Hollywood of the north. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, So we're on our sixth feature now, um, made horror films like Lord of Tears, The Unkindness of Ravens. Um, Our newest one is called The Devil's Machine. Mm-hmm. and that's just about finished now so that will be coming out hopefully later this year uh, and we're also just about wrapping up a horror anthology called For We Are Many which has 14 filmmakers from all around the world who've all produced films on the topic of demons uh, so, so very excited about that as well
0: That sounds amazing
1: Yeah, yeah, we've been busy
0: <laughs> and, and you also put films out as well weird, there was going to be some weird synchronicity in the oh, sense, right. so I was going to have uh, Sam Ashurst on later this afternoon.
1: Oh, no way. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We we uh, released his film Frankenstein's Creature uh, recently. It did really well. Mm. Um, and yeah, we're hoping to work with him again. He's a great guy. He
0: is. He's very. He's my he's my Can apartment buddy.
1: Oh, nice one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We pretty much only <coughs> ever see him in Can, actually, occasionally in London. But yeah, he's he's like a a staple of Can. <laughs>
0: That is, uh, there's, a, there's a guy, the, the other guy we shared an apartment with from Manchester, a guy called mm-hmm. David Madison, and it took us five years before we ever saw each other on English soil. Wow. <laughs> which is kind of bonkers. <laughs> well, look, um, that's who you are, and that's clearly yeah. solid credentials for doing five great British horror films. So before we crack on with it, I'm going to give the listener who may be new to this series... Uh, A quick rundown of the rules um, and sort of all the processes, it were rather than rules. Um, Sarah's chosen five films. I'm going to go through them one at a time in reverse day order, oldest to newest. And we will have spent five minutes talking about each film. It's certainly not a uh, film studies class, although I quite welcome any kind of analytical stuff, but it's also as much about. Sarah's sort of when she saw it, how she saw it, who she saw it with, that kind of thing. So more of like a personal biography and maybe even just a wider point about about how we watch films and stuff. So it's as much about that as it is about... Um You know, cataloguing films. Certainly, each guest that comes on isn't on here to sort of go. These are definitively the greatest British horror films ever, because that's ridiculous. And we can all go to the BFI website and read those if we want. So, what I'm interested in is what is what Sarah likes, not not what the world agrees is maybe the best. That sound okay to you, Sarah?
1: Sounds excellent.
0: Good. And I'll just just for the just because I like to hear it. um, This is the sound that we will hear when we reach five minutes. Okay, so that's like a Broughton Band, singing Out, Demons Out, Um, a very fitting tune. So, Sarah, um, let us start at the beginning, because it's a good place to start, Mm -hmm. with your first choice, which is 1961's The Innocents. Why did you choose this one?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, it's hardly a revolutionary choice. I don't imagine it's quite well-respected and loved, Um, but for me... Uh, when I was choosing the films in general, I looked for ones that I take inspiration from often. So whenever I'm about to start a new screenplay, I'll sort of go back and watch a lot of these films to see how they did things. Um, there's so much in there to, to sort of learn from mm-hmm. since they're such classics. So for The Innocents, uh, it's so creepy, but it's so understated and subtle. Um, it's, the, the director apparently, uh, was, was trying to sort of rail against the Hammer horror, uh, sort of style at the time, which okay. I guess is, is, was more sort of campy and, uh, more excessive in terms of its horror. So it's, The Innocence is much more of a serious, somber, restrained horror film. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's definitely,
0: there's definitely no knowing about it, is there?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's all very, um not vague but open to interpretation um you don't really ever see the monsters so much very very briefly and when you do it's very effective but it's a lot of what isn't seen and it's a lot about subtext and uh suspicion and interpretation it's um it's just a very very complex intelligent film
0: and what do you what do you see what do you see when you have those repeat viewings and stuff what are you what, like, if you can recall the last time you watched it, what did you see mm-hmm. that maybe you hadn't noticed before?
1: Oh, I guess, I mean, for me, I always watch films for the story, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, usually I don't actually watch films more than once because for me it's it's the mystery that makes them compelling and once I know how it ends, it's not really interesting to me anymore. Fair enough, um, fair enough. But these, but these few films... <coughs> i will return to to try and sort of reverse engineer i guess how how they build tension usually and how they create their dread um and with the innocence that's very much about how the the horror is very slowly built up throughout like it starts out quite uh, conventional it's a drama it takes a while for things to sort of turn to be just a bit wrong to start with. Like, you know that something's not quite right with these kids, hmm. but you don't know what it is. And it's only slowly over the course of the film that it begins to become clear what the problem is uh, and what where the horror actually stems from. So I think it's that it's that slow build of the tension and um, how the film becomes more unsettling as it goes along. That's very interesting to me as, as a writer to see how they did that.
0: It, and it's that when you start to take things apart, because I'm going to write myself, so I do I do similar exercises with films. Mm-hmm. There's that brilliant revelation, isn't there, where you begin, to, where you can begin to see how little you need to give an audience for them to understand a whole load more than's been said or seen, because it's enough kind of thing.
1: Yes, yeah, and I have a tendency sometimes to overdo it or. Give too much expo- exposition or underestimate an audience, but when you watch films like this that are so simple, um, but so effective, it teaches you that less is more.
0: No, <laughs> oh, certainly, certainly, and I guess I guess we. I mean, what 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 do you think it is about the ghost? Because ghosts are, are often are, are, are used as a metaphor for something, aren't they? Uh, as much as uh-huh. they are about our supernatural presence. So, with the innocence, then, what what do you think the What job is the ghost doing in in sort of ghost sort of as, if, as a subgenre of horror what is it what is it doing for you
1: um, I, I guess I guess it's a, it's a way to sort of project the the issues that the protagonist has hmm. uh, maybe their shortcomings or what they've repressed um, and I guess in the innocence uh, the main character is a very to start with very naive um, kind of an ingenue it's in in the book. Um, the turn of the screw by Henry James, the, the character of the governess is actually quite a lot younger. I think she's supposed to be like 19 or 20, whereas Deborah Kerr is obviously quite a bit older. I think she was 40 when she played the part. Yeah. Um, but she still very much embodies a kind of a straight-laced, repressed, naive person. So I guess then the, the ghosts are an expression of what she is repressing because they're very, well, they're lovers. They're kind of sexual and... Um,
0: Visceral and quite uh, wild, I guess, in the way that they are. Yeah. Oh look, there's uh, there's
1: yeah. your two. Five minutes nice, isn't very long. <laughs> no,
0: it's not, is it? Well, I think because we're talking about it, I have tried this format with ten minutes, and ten minutes is just a bit too long. Because yeah yeah no, I like five.
1: Five is snappy. <laughs> indeed,
0: indeed. So snapping along. Yes. Um, <laughs> and jumping just two years to yep. uh, Robert Wise's *The Haunting* from 1963.
1: Yeah, I think that the two films probably have a lot in, in common actually, and it's a lot of the same uh, things that I like about them both. Again, in The Haunting, you don't see very much of the monster; uh, it's all pretty much implied, and it's sound design. It's what you don't see. Uh, I, I read um, a criticism from Stephen King of the, the Haunting, how he didn't he didn't like that they never showed the monster, but that's exactly what I do love about it because what you can imagine in your mind is always going to be so much more frightening than what you can see on screen
0: i think it's that it's that, it's that sort of clash of 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 what the audience does or does not need isn't it um yes because because the, you know there's always that thing about delivering on the promise and and whether or not you trust them and i guess i guess you've you've been able to decide that you do trust them even though they don't show you whereas king has gone do you know what i really needed to see this
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but then often for me the the issue with Stephen King's stuff is that when he does show the monster, it can be a little bit ridiculous and a letdown.
0: <laughs> and monsters are, I mean, generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. is is a, is a big problem. I remember reading James, I think James Herbert, The Dark, and just the mm-hmm. whole idea of the dark being what you're scared of, which is so ambiguous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we can all relate to that as, as well. So you, you're more likely to buy into it, I think. Of course, there's, there's a place for monster movies and there's a place for... Um, you know, presenting these creatures in a way, but I think for this kind of film, like a, a haunted, ghosty film, then um, what isn't shown is, is just as important as what is, for sure.
0: How did you? How did you first come? Because obviously, it's not this film is far from your vintage. So, wh- mm-hmm. how did you first come across *The Haunting* then, as a, as a horror fan, and, and sort of what was the context and, and who did you see it with?
1: Um, well, I think that I'm pretty sure I, I can't exactly remember, but I know that I saw it when I was maybe. 12 or 13 I think it was on like tv late night on a Saturday mm-hmm. um but at the time i I definitely didn't appreciate how amazing it was <laughs> like I think I probably thought it was quite slow um so it was actually only when I revisited it, it maybe five years ago okay. something like that yeah, yeah. um that I really fully appreciated how great it was I think it was before I was I was having to write um I think it Maybe it was even Lord of Tears actually the first the first sort of ghosty haunted house film that I wrote um, that I watched it and just really appreciated um, how amazingly well crafted it was um, so I actually watched it I think maybe three or four times in quick succession just trying to get to the bottom of why it was <laughs> so great
0: yeah 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 and so what 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 in that sense what inspiration did you take from it then
1: um well for, for me, it was mostly looking at the, the scary scenes, because especially um, from a low budget perspective, which we, uh, you know, we work in, mm-hmm. uh, what they managed to achieve with very little, um, with just mostly sound design and very clever cinematography, is amazing. So, say, in particular, the scene where um, the two women are in the room and there's the banging on the door. And it goes on for an uncomfortably long amount of time and it's just banging on the door. You don't ever see what's on the other side of the door, but it's just so disturbing and really stays with you. Um, so I was just trying to figure out what they did to make that scene so compelling when very little actually happens.
0: And it's interesting because obviously this, this, the, film, the film's based on the Haunted in Hill house. Yes, um, which is obviously i i, 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 I not i will give you a toll. It just is—it is a lot more truer to the to the book than the recent Netflix TV series, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. The TV, TV series I thought was excellent, but it has almost nothing to do with <laughs> with the book apart from the characters' names are similar.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite amazing. I mean, it's one of the things about how, you know the, the job of the adapter is—is yes. is like to take—it's almost like abstracted, isn't it? The, the TV series versus the film version.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And there's certainly a place for that. Um, I think it suited the format of the TV series very well to do the, To do it the way that they did it. I don't think you could have stretched the book out to, you know, 10 episodes or whatever it was. Um, so I think they did a great job and they, they captured some of what was great about the book. You could see that they, they made an effort to make a decent number of sort of nods to some of the devices and... Uh, some of the themes so so fair enough um but yeah apparently the i haven't read actually the haunting of, of hill house but i know that the haunting was supposedly very very faithful apart from some minimal changes just to make it more filmable i guess
0: oh god without that yeah but it is all about the idea it's that weird thing about people staying in uh, in separate rooms and then you know then being visited by whatever whatever it is in the house that's that's uh-huh. for them kind of thing so yeah it's very much it did it, it, it does it it the way that they do it episodically in the film is is very true to the book in a sense, which is why when uh-huh. you're watching a TV show, you're kind of like, "Is this even the same?" I can't. You almost have to check that it was it was coming from the yeah. same material. And you look yeah. at the names when you go back to the book and you see the characters' names, you go, "Well, that's it's clearly got some inspiration from somewhere." Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's it's quite arbitrary, really, their <laughs> inspiration. But but I liked
0: it. Right then, let's uh, let's fast forward. Yep. A couple of decades to 1987. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to um, to a film that, uh, that that Stephen King did love quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that is Hellraiser. Uh, Clyde Barker's Hellraiser. Do you want to tell us about your experience discovering that film?
1: Yeah, well, this is definitely one that I watched um, at a much too young age. <laughs> because I remember um, being utterly devastated <laughs> by it at the time. I think because I loved, I've always loved like fantasy-type films. Like when I was maybe... Up to about ten years old, I loved like the Neverending Story and Labyrinth and whatever. So Hellraiser immediately seemed like it would be one of those kind of films, but it's just obviously quite a lot darker than Labyrinth. Um,
0: just a little bit.
1: Maybe maybe should have waited until I was a teenager and not watched it when I was ten. But um, it's probably one of the things though that did make me fall in love with her because although I was traumatized. I just love how Clive Barker creates such a believable whole new world. Like it feels like it's real. It's so visceral um, and so expansive uh, that that you really feel like this is somewhere you could potentially end up, <laughs> which I did in many nightmares. I was going to
0: say, Kate, just uh, just taking that point about being a horror fan, because I, I mean, I was uh-huh. I was my my mine was uh, I was 11 when I watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth and. The image of um, the image of Jason jumping out of the boat at the end stayed with uh-huh. me quite a long time, uh, but it obviously had not put me off. So, can you can you sort of think back, put yourself in that ten year old shoes, and as you're growing up, yep. why didn't that expi- Why do you think that experience didn't put you off?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, I think probably at the time, I I maybe didn't appreciate that it was leading me down that road. Like at, at the time I was traumatized genuinely, but it's looking back that I can see that it also instilled a sense of wonder. And I just have always loved the idea that with a film or with a story or with anything, you can create something that's so much bigger than just the story you're telling. You can create these whole other worlds that feel believable that you know might exist in some other dimension. Um, and Hellraiser is just such an amazing example of
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I must have been. I, I, I mean, weirdly, you, you mentioned in Labyrinth. Oh, it's not an obvious. Uh-huh. It's not an obvious comparable, but <laughs> in the same way, it is. There is a comparable because you have that notion of fantasy and real worlds living cheek by jowl, and you only know that you only notice them if the fantasy world wants to reveal itself to you, or you incite the fantasy world to reveal itself to you. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you've got, I guess, as well, you've got a, a sort of a young teenage girl who's been drawn into an, uh, a dark world that she doesn't understand so yeah maybe they're maybe they're perfect partner films <laughs>
0: they're maybe not the segue you want when you've watched them no. back to back but now we're adults and we can talk about it yeah, yeah. um they, 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 they there is there is a weird because it's a faustian deal is a faustian deal isn't it once you mm-hmm. begin to interrogate something you're not meant to touch or to talk to or whatever
1: yeah yeah i guess that they're both just the sort of classic hero's journey really
0: and also, there's, there's the, uh, you know, the legacy, the, the ongoing legacy of Mr. Um, James casting the runes, you know, you're cursing yourself, as it were. Through. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, so in that, I mean, there's some, there's, there's a lot of uh, adult themes in there as well, isn't there? That for the, Maybe a 10 year old isn't computing a lot. So in later life, yeah. what, what did you, what, when did you begin to discover Hellraiser again?
1: Um gosh, I guess I think it was probably about 10 years ago. Um I'd I'd sort of fallen out of love with horror a bit in right. my teens, I suppose. And it was only when I started working with Laurie that again we both realized that that was actually what we what we both really loved. Um we'd we'd both always love fantasy and sci-fi, but but there's just something like we're we're dark people. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you could ever write something light and happy. Um so it was it was then that I kind of revisited a lot of the films that I'd watched when I was younger and also really sought out uh a lot of especially older horror films to see what I'd kind of missed over the previous decade of <laughs> of not being quite so into it. Um so I think it was yeah, it was probably about ten years ago that I watched it again and again was just like fully properly blown away. Um by just just the incredible mood that Clive Barker creates, that feels so it's so iconic, so memorable, and so unlike anything else that I've seen. Really, um, it's yeah. it's it's got such such a deeply dark, disturbing, unsettling tone.
0: No, oh, certainly it has. It has. I mean, that's that kind of, um, and I guess it must do really if you're playing with. Sort of notions of sort of absolute lust, where you're willing to sort of go to levels of pain to seek the ecstasy. That's a fairly that's a fairly hard deal to be wanting to go into, isn't it?
1: Yeah, with your eyes open. Very
0: eighties, isn't it? I suppose it is. I suppose it is. (laughs) Well, look, let's stay in the eighties then for your next selection, and we're gonna we're gonna dip outside of this of the movie theater now and go to BBC. uh, I presume it was BBC. Two, it or be what? Two or one? I can't remember now. But we're going to do the Woman in Black uh, from 1989.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was BBC, but actually it was ITV, which was surprising. Okay. Yeah. So um, apparently it wasn't always Love Island. <laughs> Thank <laughs> it, goodness for that, eh? Actually, made decent horror films back in the day, or at least this one. Anyway. Um, so yeah, this this is is the uh, sort of a, original, I think. Um, Adaptation of Susan Hill's book,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is also called *The Woman in Black*, and personally, I think the best.
0: What um, What do you think makes it better? And and when by by that I mean, you know, the recent sort of Hammer Hammer version yeah. of it that got made.
1: Um, I just think that the for me, the Hammer version was very much just a roller coaster ride of jump scares and missed the point of the the slow build dread that the TV version managed to achieve. Um, So it just didn't, it didn't get under your skin in the way that the the 1989 one did. Like the woman in the the 1989 one probably benefited from its um, restrictions in terms of budget and things because they were forced, I guess, to do things in a a more clever way. They didn't just have CGI to throw at things. Um, And I think because of that, it was moodier and scarier and more restrained.
0: Now I'm guessing you didn't see this when it was broadcast.
1: No, no. Again, this was something I came to much later. Um, It was actually Laurie that recommended this to me before I wrote um, the black gloves Mm -hmm. because, you know, being again in in low budget, often the sorts of horror films that we write have to be quite um, contained. So, they'll be in some big old house and they'll have few characters. So the woman in black is a great example of how you can do that extremely effectively. Um, so again, it was sort of research, but I immediately fell in love with it. And it's just so, um, just really gets under your skin. Like it's hard to forget.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's, it, 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 it's a lot about, about dealing with isolation, isn't it? I suppose as much as anything else. So, so uh, what, what was you, What were you able to take from it yourself then uh, in terms of if if Laurie's saying to you, take a look at this, this is kind of what I'm thinking about, what do you think? You fall in love with it, but then what is it you're seeing then that sort of makes it inspiring for you?
1: Um, Again, I seem to be repeating myself a lot, but but with this and with The Haunting and The Innocence, it's Mm. again all about doing so much with so little Mm -hmm. um, and not being afraid to let the story play out quite slowly. Um, to have long scenes that build dread Um, so it's a kind of a confidence to hold back and to trust um, trust in this in the story and to trust the audience as well that they'll stick with you
0: what is it about long scenes that that build dread for you because for for some people that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you Mm-hmm. But I hear a criticism where, where where sort of a more modern audience for some reason decides, "Oh, come on, get on with yourself whereas actually if i 'm committed to watching a film, you make me look at something for a long time and I'm, I'm, i don 't know why i 'm looking anymore, and I begin to get tense all just the fact that it 's making me watch something, not because of actually what 's going on
1: yeah well i don't i don 't think that a, a a film should be trying to make the audience feel comfortable (laughs) you know a horror film should be trying to do the opposite and i Mm. think that's what happens when you linger on something what feels like uncomfortably long um especially when you're wondering is something scary going to (laughs) happen um but you're just holding and holding and holding so that you know the audience have to hold their breath for longer and longer so that when you do eventually release the tension or do the scare it hits so much harder Mm. because you've made them work for it in a sense
0: and and because and, I mean, I must admit, I've never seen this 1989 version. So in, in, in that sense, is there any use of the jump scare in, in, in this version?
1: Oh, yeah. There's one amazing scare, which yeah. I think some people would probably say is is silly and campy. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, it was utterly horrifying. <laughs> like, I think you have to have a little bit of uh, willingness to... Uh, to be open to old school effects, I think a lot of people are quite harsh on older films but just because, oh, you know, the effects weren't amazing or the CGI wasn't perfect, but I, that doesn't bother me. It's it's about the visceral reaction that you get when you watch something and being open-minded to it. So there's a, there's a scene at the very, very end of the film where the woman in black just basically appears when you don't expect her to, and it's utterly horrifying. <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. You see, we got a nice, nice, cute. Now you almost got Excellent. your cue right there. Yay! So, uh, good, good work. Um, so, final choice of your five is yep. is bringing us almost bang up to date. So we've we've kind yeah. of we've kind of we've 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 sort of we've played around with those early early models of how to you know less is more. The sort of it, it, arguably 1987 is like the rebirth of British horror films in some senses because mm-hmm. there's been a kind of dearth of them since. Since maybe 1976 is the ghoul almost, um, and then uh, and then a t- then sort of leaping out the cinema to go and look at the t- a TV horror thing. So now we're with um, Under the Shadow, uh, Babak Anvari's film, which I, uh, Babak was a uh, guest on the podcast talking about making that film back in oh, 2016. No, yeah, and, I was, and bizarrely, it can this year I met um, I met Chris Barwell, his editor. Uh, who's, oh,
1: well, who's
0: also worked on the, the new the new one they've got uh, the uh, the wounds starring Dakota yeah, Fanning.
1: That looks great. I'm really intrigued to see that.
0: So tell me now. I don't, I'm presuming you come to this as cold as I did when you first saw Under the Shadow. So what was what was your first thoughts of seeing this film?
1: Right, yeah. Um, so someone I know had seen it at Sundance and recommended it very highly, but yeah, I had no idea what it was about. And I I, I love going in cold to these kinds of things. Just mm. I, I had no idea what it. Even where it was set or what the story was. So, um, yeah, I just, it just felt so fresh without trying to be hipster or postmodern or too clever for its own good. It's just, it's a really solid, um, well structured story uh, that is timeless, I think. Um, but it also, because of its setting, uh, and the, the backstory, it feels fresh and it feels different from, from other, well, obviously, other British films that you'd see, but just horror films in general, I think.
0: Because, mm. I mean, for those that haven't seen it, it's a, it's a period drama set in sort of war-torn Tehran in the 80s. Yeah. And, and, and argue, you could, I mean, arguably watching it, I don't know what's more horrible, the gin that's haunting her or the political regime she's having to live under.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just layers of horror to it. Mm. Um, And and that just makes it feel really, really rich without the story being overly complicated, which I think is very difficult to do. Mm. Like, it's such a delicate balance that they managed to achieve um, between the the supernatural horror and the the real-life horror. They just complement each other so well. And they both serve to really just push the the tension to, to fever pitch. You feel really oppressed just watching it
0: (laughs) Mm. and weirdly i mean just thinking about i'd never thought about it when i was looking at your list but now now we've been talking the similar it's almost like it's an amalgam of both the innocence and the haunting because you've got you've got the adult and child and the specter so you've got the adult Mm -hmm. that needs to pretend to not be scared yeah to make the child feel protected but you've also got the whole um less is more um things that go bump in the night elements that is very much a part of the haunting going on under the shadow. So in a sense it being a modern film, it's actually uses of horror are very much grounded in classic Gothic horror. Aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, like, I felt like, okay, I should include a film that is from the last decade. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I've managed to, <laughs> to find one that's like the most old school of all.
0: <laughs> but no, so but, it, but it reinforced, <laughs> but it reinforces your point though, that, that, when you're making low budget horror films or films full stop then there mm-hmm. is there is a template in a sense about contained and not showing too much to so therefore creating the dread that you're talking about
1: yeah yeah i think so and and with under the shadow as well as with a few of the others when they do show the monster it's very briefly but very effectively in a way that really stays with you um so that the, they um, they get the balance just right i think between not showing and showing because it, I'm, I'm glad that they did show something. It would have, it would have felt a bit limp if they hadn't, but they just showed just the right amount to get you like perturbed by it, but not, um, not to take away the power of the, of the djinn.
0: Yeah. It's quite weird, isn't it? To think about how we, we Westerners might feel a djinn is, which is obviously where we get the word genie from. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually the djinn is really the, the dark forces, in the kind of his Muslim faith, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the way that they chose to show that was very clever. Like, it's basically just this sort of giant floating amorphous kind of hijab looking <laughs> black. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite fascinating, isn't it, to, to, to have essentially a uh, unexploded missile sticking into your house and that not offer any threat, but yet a, almost like a floating piece of material.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. It's full of it. Yeah, it's almost a bit sort of Quatermass-ish, mm. I guess. In the yeah, way that yeah, it's not
0: good call. Yeah. That turns out to be <laughs> and has and has that has that inspired as that more modern film? Then has that served to be inspiration for you in any way?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It, again, it just it, it's a more modern example of how that old formula still still works and how you can make a modern film that feels fresh without it being pretentious or you know you don't have to break the mold to still be original Um, you use what works that's always worked and then just add some fresh perspective or theme or or message to make it feel current
0: yeah yeah because I guess I guess there's nothing more universal than fear (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. as a a thing that we all humans can understand
1: (laughs) yep exactly and that that doesn't change you know people don't change either really
0: no not at all not at all um, I'm not going to say I'm not going to ask anymore because it's there we go we We're two seconds from the end there so uh, there's our five so I'll just quickly do a quick recap on the five that you chose so we had mm-hmm. the Innocence 1961 the Haunting 63 Hellraiser 87 the Woman in Black the ITV TV version 1989 and then fast forward into uh, Under the Shadow in 2016 Um and I think when we're talking there, I think we've got a kind of sense of what sort of draws them together. Um, I guess the anomaly would be uh, Hellraiser a little bit. But even then, that's a great, I mean, for filmmakers who are listening, that's another great example when you begin to pull it apart of how to make a contained horror film. Because largely it's in a detached house in you know, the middle of suburbia. It's not. There's no great expanse to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, they just managed to make it feel a lot bigger by by implying this this whole other dimension. But mostly, like you say, it's it's quite contained, and that was quite a low budget film as well. At the time. yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, these demons just appear, don't they? They don't. I mean, in the second, in the if anyone sees the sequel, you know, that's where we go looking into uh-huh. this great world that's beyond the semi, you know, the detached house in suburbia. But but certainly, the first one is all about. I mean, I, I mean, it, it, I love. I do. I mean, I, I think supernatural and or whatever uh, Clyde Barker was was investigating with Hellraiser. I'm with you. I I love um, and I'm scared by the idea that this world that I can see, there's also a world I can't see that's maybe Uh millimetres away, if if not less. And if I do one one remove, which is what horror films are always about, the consequences of, the unintended consequences of whatever you set out to do, revealing something that you weren't ready for and then what you do. Um, mm-hmm. I love the way that film can do that because obviously it's got the magic of cinema to enable it to do it. What we can't, you know, we can sit in a room at home and be scared about what might be upstairs or whatever, but um, but uh-huh. it's not quite the same as when a film sort of goes, "Look, there's a demon just appeared right on your on your <laughs> stairs." Yeah, um, this
1: is what your nightmares look like. Deal room. deal
0: okay. with it. Well, look, before we finish, give us a recap. Then what's Hex up to then, or what has what, what, what's uh, what's been going on, and what's what, what's planned to come
1: yep so um we've just about finished um two films which we both hopefully release later this year one of them is called the devil's machine it's mm-hmm. about a 200 year old cursed automaton Ooh, nice. uh yep yeah but so that's that's actually quite a a gothic sort of slightly italian giallo-y inspired uh film set in a big old mansion in the highlands nice one Yep, and uh, we've also got four. We are many, which is a demon-themed anthology of fourteen short films from filmmakers around the world, uh, which will be premiering later this year.
0: Cool. So, who, uh, can you tell us who any of the any of the, the fourteen directors who you work with on that one?
1: Um, yeah, well, there's there's a few local directors. Um, uh, we've got Mark Logan, um, Brad Watson. Um, they're all sort of up and coming.
0: No, cool. I just want, just yeah, want to get just yeah. want to give them a shout out. That's all.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a few. There's a few Americans, a few Scottish, um, some English. Uh, I think they're mostly American and, and British. Yeah, but um,
0: who's out of interest? <laughs> out of interest, whose demons are scarier, the British or the American demons?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, the British ones are definitely weirder. <laughs> 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 um. Uh, but there's a a really good mix, actually. It's a really fun horror film. We we made sure that each one would have a very... would have one really iconic moment in it, Mm. so they're all quite different and memorable. Um, They've all done a really amazing job. It's got some really cool people in it as well, some kind of horror icons, like uh, Nicholas Vince from Hellraiser, actually. Wow. Um, Yeah, and we've got Eileen Dietz from The Exorcist, uh, Lawrence Harvey from Human Centipede 2. Um, So there's some, some really... Really good characters in there. Uh, have you heard? Have yeah, you heard? He,
0: have you heard Alec Baldwin raving about Lawrence?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Oh, check out. There's. A, there's a, Alec Baldwin has a podcast, uh, oh, yeah. and he interviews Tom Six about Human Centipede, which oh, yeah, yeah. is already surprising in of itself.
1: But, um, yeah. But Alec,
0: it <laughs> Alec Baldwin is a massive fan.
1: Wow, that's so strange.
0: And it is an amazing interview because he's like a proper fanboy, and then as an oh. actor, he starts talking about Lawrence Harvey in the in the. Um, in the second human centipede and just being amazed at what he puts across on screen.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he did, he did an amazing job in, in, in the short that he's in. That's Mark Logan's short, actually. Um, he's yeah. You, when, when you see his character, it's quite, it's quite memorable.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, I look forward to that. Well, look, thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast and giving us your five great is horror films.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: No, pleasure's mine. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reid of thecomposers.tv.